1: Brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl
0: Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast Stories Behind the Story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Amarillis Gucciopo, welcome to Better Reading you, keeps having me. This is exciting, isn't it? Because you're in an Italy and I'm in France. Yes,
2: it's so nice to that it works out that way because often the time difference, you have to get up at so early and I'm not
0: yeah.
2: a super early morning person.
0: <laughs> You're not an early riser. See, it works perfectly for me. Um, I've been here uh, nearly a week now and I'm working from here, which is fantastic. I mean, that's what COVID has given us. Mm-hmm. But people say to me, oh, yeah, but, don't, you know, you've got to be up at six or seven or nine to do podcast. Yeah, I'm up at that time anyway. <laughs>
2: See, I get up early,
0: but I can't speak for the first two hours. Yeah, okay. Well, it's different Different for everyone. Um, (laughs) You are so interesting to me. And do you know, this came about, this podcast, because I was in my office back in Sydney with my wonderful team and I was waiting for someone and we get sent hundreds of books, as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. and I picked yours up. I don't know why. It was in a big pile. And I picked it up and I thought, oh my God, this is what I have felt. I just connected with it instantly. And I said to my wonderful team, track her down. (laughs) (laughs) We want to talk to her, track her down. (laughs) (laughs) And so we did. (laughs) So, Amaryllis is an Australian writer and translator who now lives in Palermo. Yes, in Italy. Her short fiction and essays have appeared in Granta, Catapult, Mianjin and other publications, and her writing has been shortlisted for many prizes. She also has a PhD from Monash University and the University of Bologna. This is the book we're talking about. It's called Motherlands, a memoir and cultural history in which she traces her ancestral histories through four cities. So those 40 cities are what, Turin, Benghazi, yeah, uh, Rome and Palermo. And Palermo. Uh, I can't tell you how beautiful this book is and how much I'm just, I, I I don't think it's a book I'm going to finish because I think it's a book you dip in and out of, you know, and it resonated for me so much um, being Lebanese-Australian. Okay, so tell me about your journey and how you came to be living in Italy.
2: Okay, so I am... Um... I mean, I never thought I would live in Italy, to be honest. I remember growing up thinking I knew about my family history of the women in my family. Where
0: did you grow up exactly?
2: I grew up in Wallingba, which is a tiny little town of about, I think it's a couple thousand people, maybe it's bigger now, in Ballina which is right beneath Byron Bay. <laughs> so... <laughs> So yeah, just completely a place where like that had nothing to do with my family history whatsoever. Was it
0: random that they ended up there? Your parents?
2: So I was actually born in Sydney. Um, my parents met in Sydney because my father migrated to Australia from Sicily when he he turned eighteen on the boat on the way over wow. to Australia. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then my mother came to it, went to Australia on a holiday when she was twenty nine, and they met and they married three months later. And the next time she came back to Italy was for my baptism three years later.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So she took you over there to baptize you. Yes.
2: And I always say it's because she wanted the tradition at the time. It's less now, but the tradition, tradition at the time in Palermo was that you gave gold jewelry to the baby at the baptism. So my I always say it's because she wanted
0: gold. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So then you you came back to Australia, obviously. Yes.
2: So then we came, that was for a visit. We came back to Australia. And when I was three, my parents made the decision to move from Sydney to Ballina because I have um, older half siblings from my father's first marriage and they were studying at university there. So my parents decided to move up to be closer to that Yeah, Yeah, and I ended up growing up there until I moved when I was 18.
0: Okay. So talk to me about growing up in a small country town firstly, but also when you started thinking about difference and identity.
2: Yeah, I mean, I always knew I was different and I think a lot of it, I think if I'd grown up in Sydney or in a city it would have been different because I was completely removed from any, um, you know, migrant or Italian culture or Italian-Australian culture, I want to say, or community because it was very, I mean, I wasn't the only child of migrants there, but um, it was very common if I was out with my mother speaking in Italian that like men who we didn't know would yell at my mother to go back to her own country or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Um, and at school I was very considered very different you know, the classic.
0: Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I grew up um, with it all my yeah, life. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Yes, exactly. I think it's very migrant kids, mm-hmm. second generation kids know it quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was very, there was a very stark separation between my Italian culture, which was all within the home and the culture outside of the home, which was very kind of, you know, white, Mm. Anglo-Australian. So I was very aware of this difference and I think it probably created a separation in me where I had, you know, I was bilingual. So there was like that Italian side um, with my family and um, the public side of English, right?
0: At home, did you speak Italian and was it largely an Italian, like you were eating Italian food and you were living an Italian lifestyle at home. Is that right?
2: Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I think that it's was the probably, same for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because are you um, like the first generation born in Australia?
0: Yes. Yeah. My parents immigrated in the fifties. Yeah. Yeah, and we were in Sydney in Glebe, and racism was rife you know, oh, at yeah. the time, yeah, as you can imagine.
2: Yeah, and it's also like I think especially speaking the language because my mother wanted bilingual children. So we only, if I, even when I was learning to speak, if I spoke to her in English, she would say, I can't
0: understand you. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's happening to me in um, France. <laughs> <laughs> Over. Um, <laughs> do you know, also being in Europe, and I, I, I want to get there, but this is this is very new for me. This is the first time I've come for a length of time and I'm going to hang around and I'm going to work. Yeah. But what's been interesting, and, and you'll be completely aware of this, is how close difference is. I've just come from Barcelona. So Spain before, for me it was 2 hours on the train yet it was a million miles away in terms of culture and language
2: yes and i think even in italy the different regions yeah. the culture changes completely mm. um you know the dialect the the food it's something that we don't really get so much in australia
0: And not at all um, do we yeah no yeah it's something that i really love about europe yeah okay so you get to high school are you still in mm-hmm. Are you still up north? Yes.
2: So, and I had grown up with this idea of like, okay, well, um, where am I going to go? Like, it's just normal when you grow up, you leave your country and you go somewhere completely new. Yeah. Um, And so I had always thought I would do that. And. I was 18 when I went to Sydney for university. Mm-hmm. Um, and What were you studying? I was studying writing and cultural studies at UTS. So you'd been interested in writing back then? Yeah, from a young age. I mean, I was always writing and then I was in high school when I thought I want to be a writer. Mm-hmm. But I never thought I would write about Italy or, to be honest, I never really wanted to write about the migrant experience because I just thought... I don't know. I think it's like when when you're younger, at least for me, you kind of want to transcend that. You don't want that to define you. Mm-hmm. And then I was 23 when I came to Italy for the first time as an adult. And I was in Palermo and I didn't expect to feel the emotion that I felt coming here. And I think it was the first time... That I think I'd kind of realized the loss
0: that comes with that migration. And you've just given me goosebumps. That's exactly how I felt. It is exactly. Yeah. And do you know, we were probably less Lebanese, I guess, than your, you being Italian. Um, mum wasn't, she wanted us more to be to fit in really quickly, to speak English, to go on school excursions, Mm -hmm. to get out there. She wanted us to assimilate, you know, she wanted us to have the best experience. So it's slightly different. But I've said this before on this podcast, when I I went back to Lebanon a few years ago, now, at least 10 years ago, and here I am, I have an Australian passport. I was born in Sydney and I get to um, Beirut airport and the immigration guide stamps my passport, and says, welcome to your homeland. That that made me tear (laughs) (laughs) up. And I felt that's it. I belong here. That's how I felt. And I'd never lived there.
2: Yeah. Mm. And it's a different kind of
0: belonging, I think. It's mm-hmm. really, and you know why you're talking about it now, and it's not until now that you're talking and writing about it, is because it wasn't a conversation for a very long time. We just didn't talk about it. I mean, I always felt and probably like you in Sydney, I wasn't Lebanese, and in mm-hmm. Lebanon, I wasn't Lebanese, mhm,
2: yeah. Exactly. And it's something that you're never fully, you never fully belong anywhere. You're never fully one thing or the other. Mm. And I think that going back, you know, it sharpens these feelings, but I feel like it's also necessary, or at least for me it was necessary to explore them, mm-hmm.
1: I
0: think. It's a very confronting journey to take initially. I found it very confronting. I really, yeah. the sense of belonging, I was doubting myself and, you know, who yeah. am I? I mean, I'm sure you've had all those feelings. And you think about the hundreds. I mean, we, you and I are the lucky ones. We had choices. Yeah. You know, And a lot of people don't have choices about coming exactly. and going, they leave their homeland and they're never allowed back. Imagine how difficult that is. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I have a friend here in Palermo who is from Libya
0: mm.
2: and he came here, I think it was four years ago, but he, he was supposed to go back for a visit in June or July and then,
0: uh,
2: you know, more political strife broke out mm. and he couldn't go back. And I think for me, because I'm really missing Australia and my parents just came to visit because I hadn't seen them for three years, and it's just just the idea of not being able to go back to your home is just or one of your homes. Being,
0: mm. you know? I mean, these families pack up and they risk their lives and they go yeah. and they don't know what that future is going to be. Anyway, let's go back to, to you. So at what point did you start writing? Did you start putting pen to paper about the subject of belonging?
2: Right. So I started right after um, that trip. Yeah. I started kind of writing about it. Um, I wrote an essay about it. And then I did started uh, my PhD the next year. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my PhD thesis. What, in Sydney? At Monash in Melbourne. It was a joint PhD Okay. at that point I knew that I wanted to live in Italy.
0: Right. And so I saw that Monash had this program. Talk to me about that. Why did you decide this is it, I want to live in Italy?
2: It was just an instinct or, you know, I just knew that I had to spend more time here.
0: Yeah.
2: And I knew that, I don't know, realising what I had lost, even though I knew... Or maybe I didn't know at the time that it would be impossible, but I was like, I need to realise this part of myself. And so, yeah, there was just something
0: that I needed to uncover. I really like that, realise that part of myself. It's beautiful.
2: Yeah, I think I'm doing it um, more and more as I continue living here. I think uh, language helps us to not just express ourselves but to articulate different parts of ourselves but yeah so I just knew that I had more to uncover here and I needed I needed to live here it just became this need and so I did the joint PhD in creative writing and literature with Monash and the University of Bologna and my thesis was basically like an early version of the book even though I ended up completely rewriting it but it kind of touched on the same themes and then I finished my PhD and soon after I was kind of thinking what am I going to do now I was back in Australia and I have to say because I lived in Bologna for about a year and a half and when I came back to Australia, I just wasn't ready to come back. And I cried the whole 25-hour trip back to mm-hmm. Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Why did you come back? ash said I had to. Oh,
0: right. Okay. <laughs> it yeah. was just
2: part of the PhD. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go back. And then I got my agent after I finished my PhD. And then I got uh, my book deal with Bloomsbury. And so I came back to write the book.
0: In yeah. 2019. Came back to Italy to write the book.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Now, the first time they came back before your PhD, mm-hmm. tell me how, because that would have been challenging as well. I mean, there are definitely challenges. So firstly, talk to me about like, you know, did you wake up in the middle of the night and think, because I do this, what the hell am I doing here? Who am I? Where am I going? I mean, tell me about those challenges. And were you perceived as an Australian or an Italian initially?
2: So yeah, before I started the PhD, I'd just come back for like a month when I was 23. So it wasn't when I visited, it wasn't really, it wasn't like that as much, I think, because I guess I'd come back as a kid and it was just I was traveling more and I was seeing family. So I moved to Bologna and I was jet lagged. So I would get out of the house after lunch and it was February. And I remember the streets would be empty. And I think, where are the people? And so I'd call my mother and I'd say, mom, no one's out. No one's around. And she'd say, no, because it's, um, people are, after lunch, people go home, all the shops close and they reopen again at four. Mm -hmm. So she was like, you have to go out in the morning or after. And I said, okay. And then there were other things like um, my, I made friends with my neighbor and she said, come over for dinner whenever you want. So I'd call my mother and say, can I, can I go for dinner whenever (laughs) I want? And my mom said, yes, it's fine. You can do that. So there were all these phone calls to my mother. Like I made a group of friends who they would call me to go out for the night at Nine thirty or ten, and I would say, "I'm in my pajamas." <laughs> you have to tell me before. <laughs> but um, so I, I actually had, to, I had to assimilate a little bit, like you know, get used to the new times. I would make notes in my journal as well because I also had this thing when I first started living in Italy that I wanted to be Italian. And I remember for the first two months, even though I'm bilingual, I would go out with my friends and I would think why do they invite me out? Because I don't say anything because I would understand everything they were saying, but I was so used to only speaking in Italian in a family situation. So it took a little while to kind of get into the rhythm of it, but even like walking down the street and I would think people know that I don't belong here. There are people in Italy who even now, like sometimes people would say, oh, I can tell by your facial features that you're Australian. And I would say, well, mm-hmm. that's kind of, I don't know what you mean by Australian, mm-hmm. but that's kind of impossible because both my <laughs> parents are from here." <laughs> or, you know, maybe sometimes people will say, oh, you," I can hear it from your accent that you're Australian or whatever else. And I kind of or correct, like, you know, sometimes people will make fun of my Italian. Which, look, if someone makes fun of the way of someone's accent or the way they speak a language, I just think, you know, I, yeah. I think it's is more about them. Yeah. But then you also get like. Um, I kind of am Australian when I want to be Australian and Italian when I want to be Italian because I think that I have earned that, mm-hmm. right? Having um you absolutely. Know. <laughs> yeah. It's gotta be benefits. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I have had friends who kind of say to me, you know, like, oh, I'm realist, like you're not you're Italian, like, you know. Yeah. yeah. So it's it really depends and I mm. find that I am Italian or Australian depending on other, other people decide that. At the end of the day, like they, mm. other people will say to you, when it suits them, you're Australian or you're mm. Italian. Like in Australia for me it's always mm. worked mm. that way as well and I kind of have stopped thinking about it um, in these two different categories because I don't really know what that means anymore.
0: Mm. Mm, We're Um, hybrids.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: When you wrote the book, uh, when you started writing, and I know you started a long time ago and it it sort of takes different shapes over the Mm -hmm. years. Did you feel a responsibility to a lot of people like us reading it?
2: I mean, that's who I was writing it for.
0: I know. Um, I, I felt that.
2: Yeah. Obviously you can't represent everyone's voice, but I really wanted to It means so much when people with a similar experience connect to it. And I think it's a quite, it's a very common experience. And I think that a lot of the literature on this topic has focused on, and I think it's partly because, you know, for so long that travel between like going back was quite, was more difficult than it is now for a lot of people. And so I think that a lot of the literature I would read on this topic looked at migration as kind of a forward trajectory. You know, you didn't really return and I think it doesn't even have to be physically or geographically. We're always returning, right? We're always mining the past and, like, that it's not necessarily past is something that, you know, lives within us. And so, yeah, I think I I wanted to not just describe the experience
0: but really connect with people. Um, And what do you think, you know, what will you do next? Are you working on another project?
2: Yes. So I'm working on a novel that is set in Sicily in Palermo and a small town in the Sicilian interior. Part of the novel is based on the real story of a woman who, um, Grew up in an Anglo community in Liguria in the north of Italy. She came from um, British parents, and she was educated in France and England. Um, And she met her husband when she was studying at a conservatory in Florence, and this was in the late 1800s. And they married and moved to eventually moved to his Sicilian town in the interior of Sicily. In I think. 1903 and so she ended up writing this book of amateur ethnography and she was a photographer about the rituals of the Sicilians in this small town which she traced back to pagan rituals it's incredible but I was very inspired by her story of you know kind of living out of place and of solitude but also this um as a woman in that time, and as a feminist, creating, like, carving out space for her creativity and her intellectual pursuits. And so part of it is based on that, and part of it is another storyline that takes place here in Palermo. But yeah, so I... I grew up thinking I would never come back to my mother's city. Let alone, yeah, like my mother's city let alone continuously mm. writing about it. But here mm. I am.
0: <laughs> but did you ever think um that you would be published? And I mean, you know, writing um a collection of stories that I think are so defining. Mm. And you know, you're still young. I mean, there are so many stories and so many experiences that'll come after that. You think? Do you think you'll go back to writing nonfiction as well?
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, alongside the novel, I'm writing essays. Um, yeah. There will hopefully be a collection of essays after the novel. Yeah.
0: Good, good. I'm I'm pleased to hear that. Um, And just a little bit about writing um, discipline. Are you, because we love to talk about that um, on this podcast, are you a nine to fiver? How do you approach writing? How do you approach your job? Do you give yourself a word count? Do you, how how does that work for you?
2: It really depends at what point I am in a project. Mm -hmm. So I wrote this book. This book got me through the pandemic. So it was very much like a nine to five type of thing. But since I finished the, after I finished the manuscript, I just couldn't. And then I was also in, um, I was in a Vespa accident in Milan after I finished writing the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I ended up spending a few months there recuperating because I broke my collarbone snapped
0: in half. Oh <laughs> my goodness! I didn't know that. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah, this happened
2: last. This happened about um, ten months ago now, but it took a long time. I had to do physiotherapy, and because oh, I had yeah. spinal trauma as well, and so that kind of I didn't work for months um, yeah. after this. And Was it
0: because yeah. you're in pain?
2: Yeah, and I had this kind of brace to make sure that my collarbone would heal properly, which it, it did mm. not, but like I can use it. I had this brace that was like a medieval torture device and I basically couldn't move my arms without, it was uncomfortable the entire time. But mm. yeah, so I couldn't really work. Just because I couldn't lifting my arms was very difficult. So it's in the last few months that I've started to get back into writing. And I'm balancing that with um, translation work as well, because I do freelance translation. Mm -hmm. I'm actually just now getting back into starting to have a regular writing practice. But I think at the start of a project, it's very much for me a lot of reading, a lot of note-taking, I think. Starting a project is one of the most difficult things, like really immersing yourself in that world. But what I like to do is I just, I like to start it without um, like tricking myself into starting it. So I'll take a lot of notes.
0: <laughs> Isn't that funny how we work? It's crazy. I, do you know for me, how I start a project is I have to tell a lot of people that I'm doing it yes. because then. I have the to pressure. Do it. Yeah, that's right. That's
2: right. I think I'm driven by the anxiety of not finishing something and yeah. I have this anxiety until I've finished it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're doing a lot of writing.
2: Yeah, I, I have like a lot of projects at the moment. I'm actually now starting to write, I came up with the idea to write a piece with my cousin about her reception to the book but also, you know, our different memories growing up because she grew up in the States as well yeah
0: that's another story entirely I think that's another podcast um, because uh, (laughs) that is so true I come from a family of six kids and it's different for every single one of us you know yeah the experience is totally different anyway you know what we're out of time I have loved speaking with you so much and I think we're going to have to make a habit of this
2: yes this was great (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you so much And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash pack for free shipping and three hundred and sixty five day returns.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.